Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here this morning. And Wilsey Asset, Asset Management is the proud investing partners of the San Diego Padres. But we're here today to talk about uh, investing, the economy, how to grow your net worth in this difficult time frame. We've got a lot of things to talk about. Uh, we always start off with uh, topics that are very important in the economy or investing. Uh, this morning, we'll talk about the CPI. We had the headline number came in. We'll talk about that. Also, PPI, which is Producer Price Index, uh, kind of dovetails with uh, the CPI as well. Retail sales and then real estate transactions. Well, remain on the low side. We'll talk more about that. Chase, what do you got? Well, as always, you want to join the show. Phone number here, 833 288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Again, here to take your calls, talk about, you know, you got a stock you're looking at buying. Again, we keep, we keep talking about it. Yeah. I think now there's some great opportunities. So now it's time to be looking, but you want to join the show, that's what we're here for. And, and, you know, one thing too, we'll, we'll get into what we're going to talk about, but you, you say the stock that you want to talk about and uh, invest into is that you got to be patient. It doesn't, you buy it like, oh, it went up next week. It's like, that's possible. But when you when we invest in something, we're looking at what will be 12, 18, 24 months down the road. And I've been doing this for over 40 years. Can't tell you the number of times that I bought something. Oh, it went down. Like, oh, you know. But then you look down the road two years like, wow, so glad I bought XYZ company. Well, I'm, I'm just going to use some numbers here. Let's say you buy a stock at 10. And then in the first year, it goes down to 7. You're like, ah. But then four years, let's say it's at 20. Wow. That was a... 100% return. And again, these aren't real numbers. I'm just saying, but this can happen and it right. does happen. Is, you know, you're like, oh, I wish I waited, waited till it hit seven. But three, four years down the road, you don't remember when it hit seven. You're like, oh, wow, I did really well on this company. <laughs> and that's why our slogan is no emotions, just results, because the reason you'll sell, they're like, oh, it's going to go down. And and part of the reason to why people sell is they don't have the analysis that we do it. Because we can, and again, we've had companies that recently we invested into and like we bought them and they're down, you know, 10, maybe 20%, whatever it may be. And it's just, we, we're, we're very happy with it because we know the fundamentals are there that it will, we paid a good price for it. We're not worried what the market, you know, cares about and so forth. We more worry about where will this business be down the road in, in 12, 24 months. And it, and it does work. It's just, it's frustrating. No one knows about them. Yeah. And you're always going to be able to buy it lower yeah. and you're always going to be able to sell it higher. But it, you just got to know you're not going to sell at the absolute top, buy at the absolute bottom. It, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah. And and we do run a concentrated portfolio, so it's it's uh, it will show up a little bit more in the volatility. But we don't care about the volatility. We care about the returns. And, and we look at the returns year by year by year. And that's what you really have to look at. So well, let's move on and talk about the economy. Headline CPA, CPI came in at 5% compared to last year which was the lowest level since the May 2020 report and well off the June. Remember this? 2022 high of 9%. And back then people talk, oh, it's going to 12%. We said, no, no, it's not going to 12%. Here we are at 5%. Some reasons for the slower gain include gasoline, which was down 17.4%. Used cars and trucks, I was surprised on this one, down 11.2%. 
television down 14%, and uncooked beef roast down 4.4%. Gosh, there is some food items coming down. That's good to see. Areas that remain elevated include transportation services up 13.9%, airfare was up 17.7%, electricity up 10.2%, and food was up overall 8.5%. And the big problem in the report, and we've talked about this, I think, for the last couple of months now, but it continues to be the shelter index, which accounts for about one-third of CPI and rose 8.2%. Now, some people may point to a concern over core CPI, which, again, takes out the volatile food and energy components, as it rose 5.6%, again, above that headline number of 5% compared to last year, and was higher than February's reading of 5.5%. But when you look closer at the numbers, the shelter index accounted for about 60% of the increase in core CPI. Excluding shelter, the CPI rose just 3.4% from a year ago. And I continue to believe the shelter index will level off as we progress through the year and have a much smaller impact in CPI. Overall, I would say this inflation report was a major positive and should provide evidence to the Fed that a pause in rate hikes could make some sense here. You know, here in San Diego and nationwide, there's so much inventory coming on for the rental index. And that's what it compares to now. It's not like the price of the home. They now do what the rental, I think, is how they, they yeah, look the, at uh, owner's rent equivalent. Owner's rent equivalent. So they so, say, how much could you rent your house out for? Right, right. And and that's all based on that. So with, and I'm seeing more rents come down now as new leases come due. That was done 12 months ago. So there's a big lag here that is causing the problem. And when that dissipates, oh, we, we, we could be at the 2 to 3% range for the uh, core CPI. And rents don't even have to come down. They just can't go up. Yeah, that's and true. If, if rents flatline, that's a zero percent year-over-year increase. That wipes out a third, essentially, of that CPI gain. I mean, yeah. that's why I really think by the end of this year we could see CPI. And we've been saying around four to six percent. I think we could CPI in the three percent level, and yeah. it's, it's probably mid threes. But I think it's more realistic as we continue to progress through this. The big caveat here is energy. I, I think a lot of people, oh, you got to strip that out because, you know, it's so volatile. But energy, and I don't care what people say, energy is still in everything that we use when you actually fundamentally break it down. When you buy a product, oh, now they got to transport all around the world. That takes energy <laughs> to get it there. <laughs> it is such a vital part of our economy, and it leads to inflation. Regardless of what people say, that's what I, I believe. And if energy spikes back up, that's where it could be very problematic for, I think, the price indexes. And, and Chase, people that follow our, our post and our newsletter, they'll see we're kind of, we're not going back and forth on the energy sector, what's going on. Yeah. Things are changing. At first, things are fine. Then uh, the Saudi came out like, oh, we're, we're cutting our production. Oh, that's, that's terrible. And then we have new things coming out. Oh, well, well, this is going up. I, I, I read this past week that uh, big oil companies were buying a lot more fracking companies. They they said, you know what, we are going to start producing more oil. So there's some pauses. It goes back and forth, back and forth. But I think in the end that will be fine. And, and oil, it's not going to go back down to $30 a barrel, but I'm less likely to see it much above 100 I think we'll stay between maybe the 70 to $85 rate. Yeah, and I do think as well, I wanted to point out the food index has also been a large component here. And, and food at home, again, was up at 8.4% year over year. But it actually fell 0.3% compared month over month. And I don't normally like to look at the month over month numbers, but it's important because if that month over month starts to decline, that's going to impact the year over year increase. But it was the first month over month drop in the food index since September 2020. I, I mean, we're really starting to see things slow down here. And I saw this other thing on, on CNBC actually kind of comparing prices to like 2019. And yeah, they're, they're way higher. But the thing is with inflation, you're going to continue to see gains. 
prices will not go back to where they were in 2019. No, no. That's not how inflation works. So you do have to kind of understand, yeah, we had elevated inflation, but we're still going to see price increases going forward. I just think they're going to moderate a lot more. Right. And and I didn't see on the food side. I, was, I, and I didn't know that there was many farms in Florida. I saw that Florida is having a drought. And so it's hard on the, the cattle because yeah. they can't feed them as much. So they said the cattle are smaller. That was one negative that you need to have that supply be larger. So I don't know what the rest of the country looked at. It was just talking about how Florida has a, a drought, which I think in Florida, I thought they had rain all the time. There in Florida, <laughs> but I, I guess things have changed there. So, but we, we'll keep an eye on that for you. Uh, huge news on the uh, inflation front on producer price index showed a month over month decline of 0.5% in the month of March. This was well below the estimate for the index to be flat in the month. Looking at the 12 months change, the index showed an increase of just 2.7%. This was the smallest increase since January 2021 and is well off the high from last March of 11.7%. Yeah, I remember that number as well. That was a huge one. That yeah. was an all-time high there. And the Fed has pointed to concerns over services pricing, but this report report also indicated that prices for services fell 0.3% in the month, which was the largest decline again since April 2020. And with a report like this, I really believe the Fed should consider not raising rates at the next meeting. I don't think they're going to take my advice here. I think they will. I, I think they listen, every, <laughs> yeah. they, they listen to our podcast. They listen to. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I you just kind of look at saying that these rate increases that they've done, it takes time to work, work through the economy. And if you overshoot it, I mean, that could put the economy more at risk. And they have a dual mandate, obviously, of you know employment and inflation. Right. Well, you should still care about employment. And I don't understand this whole concept of we need to crush it and crush it to get inflation down to 2%. Don't get me wrong. I think inflation is very problematic. But at what cost does that need to come? If we get inflation down to 3% without unemployment severely increasing, I think that'd be a huge win. But it seems like, no, we got to get inflation down to 2%. We don't care what happens to the, right. the employment market. And, and there has been talk. They, they could actually change that and raise it a little bit to, to meet their, their growth there. But one thing, I was, as you're talking, I realized the, the big factor with CPI was shelter. Yeah. I don't believe shelter is in the PPI, and that shows what we're kind of backing up. We're talking yeah. about the CPI could be lower the shelter. Well, there it is right there in the PPI. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, we're not, and people say, oh, things are terrible and so forth. They'll never be great, no. but they're not as bad as people think. When you dive down in the numbers, you take them apart saying, no, we'll, we'll get through this. Let's talk about retail sales because the headline retail sales number may concern some, but digging through the numbers, they indicate exactly what we've been anticipating, a slowing economy, not a troubled economy. The headline reads that retail sales fell 1% in the month, uh, more than the estimate of 0.5% decline, but looking at the numbers compared to last March, sales increased 2.9%. It's important to point out that this is not an adjusted for inflation, which was 5% in the month of March. The biggest negative weight on the numbers, though, is actually a decline of 14.2% at gas stations, largely due to decline we've seen in, in gas prices. And if we exclude the gas stations from retail sales, they would have actually been up 4.8% compared to March 2022. So kind of right in line with that inflation report telling me that consumers are still kind of spending along with those price increases, not necessarily majorly decreasing their spending habits. They're not increasing them, obviously, because the price impact is, is still weighing on that. But it, I overall still think it's a big positive. Now, some of the negatives included electronics and appliance stores, which were down 10.3%. Building material and garden equipment and supplies dealers were down 3.5%. 
Furniture and home furnishing stores were down 2.4%. And clothing and clothing accessory stores were down 1.8%. Again, all goods-based yes. products that, again, were big benefactors during COVID. Now, the major gainers in the report will continue to be kind of the service side. Food services and drinking places, those were up 13%. I mean, people are still going out to restaurants. And I don't care what people say. If you don't feel good about the economy, you're not going out to eat. Yep. Non-store retailers were also up 12.3%. Health and personal care stores were up 7.1%. People got to look good if they're going out to dinner. And also food and beverage stores were up 5% due to the increase in prices for food there. Yeah, and, and, and these are things that kind of show that things are are going along positive. We talked about how the PPI, CPI, I mean, we pull this all together. And if if you're in cash and you say, oh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, you're missing some good opportunities. And we talked earlier in the show that you may buy something that drops 20%, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Well, stop looking at the short term because yep. the, the, the economy is doing okay going forward. we got a good supply chain now. Um, you, you know, you, you're funny, I was in uh, Missoula, Montana, uh, uh, last couple of days, and even there, you know, because sometimes I think it might, you know, because here in San Diego, you see the freeway's full, you go to restaurants, it's full. It was, it, uh, Nash and I went to a restaurant, it was full. Um, and it just like, it's amazing the number of people that are, and that was like, what, a, a Thursday night, I think we went out. Uh, it, it's just, I don't think it's just certain areas. I think overall the country is doing well. And that's what we look at at the overall country. And, you know, and I was surprised in Missoula, well, Montana, they don't have sales tax. I mean, yep. when he paid for, for the dinner, I go, hey, wait, you've got a sales tax. They go, no, we don't have sales tax here. <laughs> oh, go, that sounds well, nice. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> nice, yeah. Not, not like California, but um, <laughs> but it, it, it's just, it, there's obviously places that aren't doing as good, but I think overall the country's doing pretty well, and that's what we, we do focus on. And I, I did kind of want to talk again about that Fed and, I, you know, kind of increasing rates. I, I don't think they should increase rates, but but thing that shocks me right now is the market is pricing in a Fed cut by the end of the year. I don't see where that's coming from. And I mean, I think it would be a huge mistake. mistake if they cut rates because what could happen is they cut rates, you stoke demand again. All of a sudden, now you're right back to an inflationary environment where now people, demands come back in, the supply is still maybe a little bit constrained. Now you have inflation going back mm-hmm. to five, six percent. You didn't fix the problem. I mean, I think it would be a huge mistake error. And I, I think it's, again, very similar to the 70s there. Where the same thing happened there. They had a couple years of inflation. They didn't really fight it. And then it came roaring back. Yeah. I think we just need to, to, again, hold rates steady for some time, see how it impacts the economy. Don't overshoot it and hike too much because that's going to put us into a right. terrible spot. But we can't also go too low because then we'll go right back into an inflationary environment. I, I think he's going to stay stable for the entire year. I don't think he's going to increase. I don't think he's going to decrease. I think for the entire year, they're going to just now, now take a, a watch and see attitude. Like, see what happens. We, we've, we've done all this raising. Let's see what happens because we're not seeing inflation. I mean, they're, they're seeing the same numbers we are in CPI, PPI. It's not like we're we're geniuses where we figured out the shelter thing. They know that as yeah. well. So, and, and that's why there's, what, seven on the board? Of, oh, it's confusing because there's voting members and non-voting members. Right. There's a whole breakdown of members and parents. And I think there's like 13 governors. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a little complicated. And, and I'm reading right now, uh, it's called the Book of Nine. It's by the Supreme Court. So nine's in my head, but I yeah. know it's not nine. Uh, but but anyway, I mean, that, that I think we'll be okay that they're not going to increase. And I, I have to say, even if they do increase a quarter point, which will be disappointed, it's not going to destroy things. It's only a quarter of a point. Yeah, so, and I, I really hope that if they do that, that's the last one. Because you can't forget as well, the, the the item that gets a lot less news attention is the quantitative tightening. 
Yeah. Everybody talks about the Fed increases, the rate increases. Nobody talks about the quantitative tightening, which they're allowing those those bonds that they had purchased to kind of roll off, which I think is good because the, yeah. the long end of the, the, the Treasury market and the mortgage-backed security market is still quite depressed compared to the short-term market. So I don't think they should get involved in quantitative easing where they'd be buying bonds again. They would need to kind of continue on with the quantitative tightening, I think, just stay according to plan. But the big thing I always tell people is those are my es- estimations of what the Fed is going to do or what I think they should do. You can never trade stocks around what you think the Fed is going to do because you will be wrong. You will be wrong, yeah. And and, and that's why we take a long-term perspective. If if the, the, they do raise a quarter point, yeah, probably the market's going to decline. Uh, yep. won't be won't be a good time. But it will benefit companies 2024. Yep. I mean, and that because we're looking at when's the next time they meet? May, I think, right? Is it May yeah, it's May. May, May yeah. meeting. So, so now you start looking almost halfway through the year. Um, I do believe uh, for our portfolio, I think we're going to have a very, very good year this year. And people say, oh, how can you say that? When you look at what we hold in the portfolio, which we won't see unless you're a client, um, we've got some things in that portfolio that are just like great values with great businesses that um, I, I think it's going to be one of our top years. Uh, this year, yeah. Um, so, but but we'll we'll see. Come December thirty first. That's the thing too. We got to wait till December thirty first. Couple. I I do want to talk about real estate, but I do want to promote uh, the workshop. Um, also to the newsletter. Open the phone lines. Eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. You got a company called a stock that you're looking at buying, selling, holding. You're not sure if it's a good one. Uh, we'll run over all the fundamentals for you. Give you that unbiased, no strings attached on the on the business you're looking at investing into. Phone number again, 833-288-0973, 833-288-0973. And the workshop is this Thursday already. Gosh, time just goes by so fast. It's Thursday, April 20th from 6 to 8. Uh, you can sign up at our, our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Talk about how you should be investing. Uh, will there be a recession or not? How to go through that? Uh, doing some new things on the financial planning side. Yeah, and uh, Harrison, again, our financial planner, he'll join us here shortly. Uh, he's going to actually take a little bit more of an active role, I'm going to say, on, on the workshop. And he's got some great topics here. One of them that he's going to point out is actually poor income planning. And a lot of people don't realize that most income sources are actually taxed differently, and they can impact each other. If you get your retirement cash flow in the wrong way, you can cause yourself to pay way more in taxes than necessary, and most of the time, you won't even realize it. So he'll talk about those different income sources and how to kind of plan around that to make sure you're maximizing your tax situation. I know a lot of people say, I don't want to pay his taxes. Taxes. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you structure your income properly, and he'll talk about that. I think that'll be a great topic for people. It's going to be a great, great workshop. It is free. Uh, again, Thursday, April 20th at 6 o'clock uh, at our office in Scripps Ranch. Go to the website, sign up, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And look forward to seeing you this Thursday, April 20th at our office in Scripps Ranch. Uh, the newsletter, uh, we talk about this. There's other things on the newsletter you can get. We talked about gold. Uh, we also talked about the movie theaters, new homes, so many different things on on the the. Uh, the uh, newsletter that you can get for free, Costco's on there, oil prices. Uh, you really will become a smarter investor when you sign up for the newsletter. Uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Right in the middle of the, the website, you'll see newsletter. Click on there, sign up, it's free. You get every Friday at five o'clock. Uh, people just love that. It goes out to not quite 3,000 people, but it's just one that uh, people like. It's precise, easy to read, uh, try it out. Uh, give us your thoughts on what you think of the newsletter. Yep. Yeah. So let's talk about real estate because real estate transactions remain on the low side as housing prices are beginning to weaken. 
With the higher prices of homes and the higher interest rates, many first-time buyers have been locked out of the housing market. The movement of the real estate market generally happens where people will trade up to perhaps a larger or more expensive home, opening the lower price homes for first-time buyers. But with many of these homes and the homeowners locked in mortgage rates in the 3% range, they don't see the benefit of buying a more expensive home with mortgage rates double what they were paying now. I, I believe it will take years for the real estate market to adjust to a more normal market. I mean, this is a very strange kind of situation that we're in right now because demand has fallen, but also supply is not increasing because of this issue of people are like, well, I got a 3% mortgage, so why would I you know, go buy something else when I at a six, seven percent mortgage, it just doesn't make much sense. And I, as I kind of said, I think it's going to take some time for those life events to happen. I mean, people are going to have kids; they're going to need to maybe downsize. Maybe they want a bigger house. I think maybe four years, five years from now, I, I don't think mortgages are going to be back at three percent. I yeah. think they could be at around five percent still. I think we'll say, ah, yeah, I got the three percent mortgage, but it's like, gosh, I got two more kids. <laughs> yeah, no, we need a bigger house. It doesn't right. matter about the payment. Right. You know, I, I can afford it. And I think it's going to take time for that inventory to come online. It's really a, a strange dynamic here. Yeah, and, it, and it's something that will change over time. Uh, people will eventually say, well, as you just pointed out, yeah, I'm paying 2000 a month and I have a 3% mortgage, but I need that bigger house. I, 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 you know, we're, we're bulging the seams here. Or wants that big. Either. Well, and you're right. When you say want, sometimes it's more of a want where like, ah, oh, who cares? It's only $400 more a month. I can afford it. It will change. But it, what it tells me and us, I'll, I'll say, is that there's not going to be a boom in real estate. You know, people are going to kind of sit tight, which means there's not much inventory. Uh, but people just won't pay the higher prices because we've talked before on the three factors. You either need lower interest rates, lower home prices, or higher income. None of those three we see happening anytime soon. Yeah, and I, I mean, I was kind of in the the camp last year that we were going to see, you know, a, a substantial decrease, in, and we got a decrease in home yeah. prices. We we have over the last several months, but I've really started as the numbers have kind of continued to come out to believe that we're not going to see, like, I don't think we're going to see a 20, 25% decrease. Now, I, I don't see that happening. But I, I think what's becoming more and more likely is just those home prices go nowhere. Right. For the next five to seven, maybe 10 years, depending on what happens in the market over that 10 year period. But I just don't see a catalyst. And number one, the affordability, right? The ability for people to buy higher priced homes. You need that ability to continue to have real estate prices increase. And I, I just, I don't see that happening. I mean, I, I think you're just going to have essentially dead money in, in a lot of residential real estate over the next five to seven years. Yeah. And people, the thing I always talk about too, is they don't realize that you buy a home, you're not going to pay property taxes. You will have much higher insurance costs. Use about 10 times your, your insurance will go up than renting. Um, also to maintenance repairs. So it will cost you more to buy that home. Uh, you do get that home. No one can kick you out of it uh, as long as you make the payments, obviously, and yeah. and pay the re the uh, real estate tax. Don't pay yeah. the real estate tax. The, the government will kick you yeah. out. You got to pay that. They'll, they'll don't pay your off. mortgage. The bank will take it. Don't pay your taxes. The government will take, <laughs> don't take it. it. So. Um, so don't forget who really owns your home. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. yeah. So, it, and I forget the number. I think like the reality is, I think in the nation, about twenty nine percent of people actually really own their home across the country. Yeah. So that, that that's kind of the number. But most of the time, it is the bank and the government. Uh, and if you own the home, you don't pay your real estate taxes. Again, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're out. But um, it it's just you have to look at your own situation to see if it's worthwhile doing. Um, I I'm hearing less and less of people saying, "Oh, I gotta buy a home because prices are going up," and I don't want to miss out. That's no longer the case. 
People want to buy a home because they want that home um, and don't be in the illusion that you're going to buy it in two years, going to make all this money. I think in two years you'll probably be behind uh, because of expenses and you know, especially if you buy, oh my, I get a money money trap. And we've talked about this a lot on the show, but you got to look at the cash flow of buying versus renting, especially with the lack of home price appreciation. And in, in my belief, for the next five to seven years, it, it really comes down to the cash flow comparison of of what's going to make more sense because you can take that excess cash flow and invest it. Don't get me wrong; if you don't take the excess cash flow from the savings of renting right. versus buying, yeah, it makes more sense to buy. Right. <laughs> you have to be disciplined if you're renting to actually invest. And that's where a lot of people misunderstand the benefits of renting. Right, right. And and that means, and especially if you have that 401k, we love 401ks oh. because many times you get a match from your employer. So that even adds more value too, or the tax situation is better. And the difference is people say, well, you get a tax benefit from the house. Well, yeah, you, you give the bank a dollar, you get to write off maybe we'll call it 28 cents of that dollar. So that's that. But when you do a 401k, you put that dollar in, you get to write off the full dollar and you get to keep that dollar. I mean, it's just a great thing. And and that's how you want to be create wealth. That's how you do it. It doesn't happen over six months or a year or two, but over time you'll have a very nice 401k and be patient. There'll be a time that a house is a good, a good price. And, there, and I think we will start seeing maybe some houses that people have to get rid of uh, quickly because of financial situations, but we got that strong job market. I, I don't know if we did it here and it's gonna be next week about the industrial construction is just booming. I mean, construction is just like, they can't find enough people to build uh, the industrial construction. Was that in our post last Yeah, week? it's, it's yeah. in there as well. And, you know, kind of parlay off what you were saying there is that's why I think there's gonna be a bottom I think if prices continue to fall just a little bit, there's enough demand there where people are like, oh, I can afford that, and it'll push the price back up. So that's where I kind of think, you know, the, the housing prices are just going to be in this this range-bound trading for the next several years. And that's kind of where I look at it as well is, you know, let's say prices don't move in five to seven years. Well, that's where it still can make some sense because now you've given time for incomes to catch back up to the real estate right. market. So you can have not just a price adjustment, but you can have kind of a time adjustment essentially to have those prices make more sense as well. And let's see, I'm looking for that. Uh, is it the economy prediction? Is that the one that it was under? It should be. Should be? Okay. Yeah. Well, let's go with that one. Yeah. Well, we, we got no calls here this morning, so let's put the phone number out there again if you got a company. And I know we do have an email one that we're going to get to as well. Uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, 833-288-0973. All lines are open. Uh, did you want to go to the email one? Up to you. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. We'll come back to the economy prediction. If we don't get it, uh, then get the newsletter. So yeah. the newsletter, you, you'll get it that way. Because I, I we, we try to do our emails uh, when we can. If you do want to submit an email about a, a stock or investment question, you can always do that by going to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. So am I reading the, the email? You, okay. you got the email I, I there. Right I don't okay. have it. Okay, you don't have it. All right. So let's see. Uh, Chase, I, I, I saw this uh, dividend stock, DEA. Uh, I think immediately of drug enforcement agencies <laughs> when I, I see that. It is a REIT backed uh, by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. It pays a 7 or 8% dividend, uses 300% to pay it, and its trend line since inception 2015 is down. The government support is a great item, but not sure how it works. As much as I like this stock, I'm leery. What is your opinion? Thanks, uh, Kevin. So let's take a look at uh, DEA Easterly, Easterly Government Props. 
So that, that's, and I know I'm looking at these numbers. You'll probably look up more about what that is. But uh, again, as simple as DEA, their REIT office REIT, uh, a lot short here, 13.2%. We get above uh, 8 to 10. I say that's on the high side, 13.2 for for easterly government props. I guess that's probably properties. Uh, Institutional ownership, 92.2. PE ratio, ooh, 41 versus 26.4. Price to sales 4.3 versus 4.4. Price to book value 1.2 versus 0.4. And price to cash flow 10.1 versus 9. So nothing really exciting too much on the valuation ratios. We do see earnings per share uh, fell by 2.9% over the past year, but the industry was up 29%. Sales increased by 4.1, but the industry was a flat over the last uh, 12 months. No five year earnings per share estimated growth. We do say they, they do pay that 7.6% dividend. Uh, their dividend share is $1.06. Uh, and we do see that the payout ratio is 311.8. That is kind of strange how they come up with that. A lot of this is based on cash flow. We do see the dividend increase over the past year is flat. Uh, look at the balance sheet. Current ratio 1.1 versus 2.9. Debt to equity, 1 versus 0.9. That's okay. Net profit margin, 10.7 versus 21. Return to equity, very low, 2.5. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, so as uh, Kevin pointed out here, that this is a real estate investment trust. They they actually are engaged in the acquisition, development, and management of Class A commercial properties that are leased to U.S. government agencies. Very important. I, I don't think they're backed by the U.S. government. Like, I think if the buildings were to fold, I don't think the government would bail them out. Right. I think it just means that the government is their tenants and they will pay them rent. Yes. And the company does generate all its revenue, again, by leasing its properties to, to those agencies there. Uh, you know, I, I think it could be a benefit, essentially, to have the government as a tenant, but I also think it could be a detriment at times because if the government needs to say, hey, we need to cut our budget, no, we're not going to pay you more rent. We're the government. It's a right. safe, you know, contract that you have there. So I, I think it could limit some upside potential there as well on increasing rents. So if the government pulls back on spending, you know, I think they'd want to negotiate better lease prices. What are you going to say? No. Right. And I will say, I think the government's the worst negotiator. Uh, yeah. old ten, on old building, they were paying the highest rent of anybody in the building. The government just doesn't negotiate very well, but they will say, oh, we're done. Uh, not going to do it. I could change. Yeah. The government should negotiate better. Oh, they definitely should. Yeah, but they don't. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe if we get a, a different president in there and some different politicians, maybe maybe there'll be a little more negotiation on rents, which would hurt a company like this. A businessman in there would would help out. They know how to negotiate. Politicians don't. Yeah, so. yeah. So looking at the numbers though, for again, Easterly Government Properties. Well, it's thirteen dollars ninety four cents. See the fifty two week high here, twenty dollars and sixty seven cents, and the low is twelve dollars and twenty seven cents. I see year to date, it's actually not down that much. Only down point six percent. But over the last one year, it is down 26.2%. Now, if I go forward to December 2024, I do see the estimated FFO, or again, the funds from operations, of $1.13. Would give us a target sale price of $18.76. So it gives us, a, am going to say, a decent target sale price there as the company is trading at a forward PE of uh, about 12, 12.4 times. And we like the office industry going forward, but you've got to be careful. You've got to look at where the offices are located. I, mean, I, I saw some for New York this past week, and New York is just hemorrhaging on the office side. If they, they have a lot of offices in New York, it's not going to be good. We like the Class A, don't like the B and C. Class A, we think, is a place to be. Uh, it's going to take some time yeah. because right now the baby's being thrown out with the bathwater and everything's going down, creating a buying opportunity, but I don't think this fits into it. 
and you're right, I agree with you as well that the the weed is not backed up by the government. The rent, the the kind of guaranteed rent, the government's not going to pay their rent. So that that's I I I'm, I can agree with Kevin. I think he said he's kind of leery of it. I'm not, and, I'm not really and also too, I, I think the cash flow is going to be fine for paying that dividend. It depends on their interest, and and also on these REITs, you have to be very careful. You have to look at their debt maturities because yeah. with the debt maturities, if they have a lot coming due over the next year, they could have had interest rates at let's say three percent. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden they have to refinance at let's say six seven percent. That interest expense could you know close to double, and it's not going to fully double because they still are going to have other debt maturities that don't mature in that time period, but it's going to be a huge impact on cash flow and earnings where all of a sudden they could have a huge problem with paying out that dividend because the interest expense increased so much. And I saw this, I, I read this past week about, uh, I believe it was in the housing sector where they, they have rentals now where companies buy rentals. Well, they did a lot of those with adjustable rate interest rates. Yeah. And so now they said some of their rates went from 3%. I saw one that was at 8% and they're filing bankruptcy. They can't afford to, to do it. I mean, that's uh, almost three times what they were paying on the interest side. So very important when you look at these REITs, what is on the debt side? Do they have these rates locked in? Because you don't want to be stuck now with rising interest rates or with you got to, uh, again, uh, borrow at a yep. much higher rate than what it was before. That's really going to hurt you. And, and and that's one thing we always look at when you, we look at companies and businesses, you know, the short-term debt versus long-term debt. And right now, you don't want a company or a real estate investment trust to have much on the short-term yep. interest rate side because they're going to get hurt pretty bad. So or even a, a adjustable right. interest rate as well because that, right. that could really hurt you. Exactly. Um, and I will say as well, I, the forward PE of about 12 you know, that's normally in our, our zone of uh, interest, I'm going to say, in terms of uh, buying uh, a company with a 4PE of 12. But in this space, I see a lot more other REITs that are even lower. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm not, I guess, intrigued because of the comparative basis. I think you could find a much better REIT that has much better opportunity. Yeah. So, Kevin, remain leery. Don't. Don't invest in that. Find yeah. something else. So, all right. Uh, let's talk about the workshop because it is this Thursday coming up, uh, April 20th at 6 o'clock. We'll be talking in Scripps Ranch at our office. I uh, want to know how you should be investing. We'll talk about that. Uh, our price fluctuations keeping you from investing. Also, too, uh, Chase going to have some information on financial planning. Uh, Harrison's going to be doing a little bit more on financial planning for for the people. Yeah, and uh, Harrison is this time as well. It's also going to talk about Roth conversions. These are such an important tool for people that are maybe entering that retirement phase or in that retirement phase. And these should be a part, again, of most retirement plans. But people convert the wrong amounts at the wrong time or not at all, which ends up costing money for yourself and your heirs. Again, costing you money, money because you're paying more taxes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he'll be talking about the Roth conversions and how to actually look at that Roth conversion to make sure you're, you're taking advantage of the different tax brackets at the right time. Because a lot of times people just say, oh, I hear Roth is great, so I'm going to do Roth. And it could be, but it also could cost you money. Could you got to understand the game. You got to understand the tax brackets. Got to do, do the work to, to make sure it makes sense. So the workshop is uh, Thursday, April 20th at, uh, in, uh, at our office in Scripps Ranch. Go to the website to sign up, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can also call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. 
ask for Allison or actually push the button for Allison. Now you don't ask for, you actually, you know, it's all electronic now. So you push the button for Allison. She'll get you signed up for the workshop uh, again, Thursday, April 26 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. All righty, phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. I was going to go out to Phil and San Marcos, but Phil, if you can hold on for a, a few minutes here, I see you want to talk about Citigroup. I would love to take a look at that. I think they reported earnings, didn't they? Citigroup? They reported earnings yeah, yesterday, so. yeah. Yep. So hopefully we got new numbers on that for Phil. So Phil, if you can hang with us, we do want to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. He's got some great information today. Harrison, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, good, good. So today, uh, and I don't have your topic in front of me. I, I got my, I got so many papers in front of me. Uh, tell us what you're talking about today, Harrison. So um, today I wanted to talk about how RMDs are calculated. Uh, one of the main tax issues in retirement is a result of RMDs. Um, thanks to a new rule a few months ago, the age they have to begin is being increased to 75. I've talked about them before, but today I thought I wanted to talk about how they're calculated, which usually your custodian or wherever your money at, um, they'll do the calculation for you. But it's important to understand how it's calculated so that you can see how it eventually will impact you. So with pre-tax retirement accounts, you can begin taking non-penalty withdrawals when you reach age 59 and a half. At that point, any withdrawals are optional. So if you don't need the money, you can let it sit and continue to grow tax deferred. Maybe you've got some social security income or Roth accounts or brokerage accounts that you can get your income from, which isn't taxed as highly from those sources. So you don't need to touch the IRA. Um, but in the year you turn 75, you have to start taking those taxable withdrawals. So what you do is you look at all your pre-tax retirement account balances as of December 31st of the previous year to get a total amount. Next, the IRS publishes a withdrawal table that lists the uh, percentage or divisor that you need to take at each age. So every year you get older, you have to withdraw a little bit larger percentage from that account. Um, the first one at 75 is about 4.1% that you have to take. At or By age 85, it's up to about 6.3%. And then by age 95, it's up to 11.2%. So it is essentially forcing you to take more and more each year. On top of that, your account is still invested in growing, and I think a lot of people discount how much their accounts can grow given enough time. So someone who is 60 and has $750,000 in their 401k, well, after 15 years of compounding, assuming no additional contributions, could have $2.5 million by the time they uh, turn 75 and have to start taking withdrawals. So with a $2.5 million account, that first RMD is a little over a hundred grand, and again, it's all taxable. If that account keeps growing, um, even with the RMDs taken out each year, by age 85, the RMD could be up to a little over $210,000, and then at 95, it could be up to around $375,000. So, and again, this is every single year you have to take this, and it gets larger and larger. So the percentage to withdraw gets bigger, and the account you're withdrawing from gets bigger. So the dollar amount that you must take gets exponentially larger the older you get. Um, so the more income that you have, the more it gets taxed. And I can just about guarantee you that tax rates are going to go up at some point. 
So being aware, aware of how these are calculated and what your potential tax liability is and how it um, you know gets larger and larger over time can can save you a lot of work. So I know taxes are a part of life, but that doesn't mean you just have to you know accept it. If you do the right planning in your 50s and 60s, it'll give you you know the options in, in your 70s and 80s. I know everybody hates taxes. Any way you can get around them by doing these type of, of analysis that you're doing. That's what we try to do. And there was a judge that came out many, many years ago to say that you have uh, your obligation as a citizen to pay the least amount of tax that you can. That is the obligation. So, and these are ways you can do it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you think about it, oh, well, you're taking this much money. That That's a good thing that you have a lot of income. Yeah, that's, that's true. But that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, go the worst way and just pay the most taxes possible. There are ways to substantially reduce that, which if you do it right, you can save yourself um, hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases just by, you know, moving money around at the right times. Um, so it's that that tax liability is big, but um, you can get ahead of it and you can really reduce it with the right planning. Well, Harrison, thank you very much for the tip. I appreciate it. You'll speaking more at the workshop and also to people I sit down with you. We'll tell how they can do that. But uh, thanks for calling in. We'll see you Monday morning. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, again, that's Harrison Johnson. He is our financial plan OCFP. He's not a salary. He doesn't you know, try to sell products or commissions or annuities or life insurance. He is trying to, just heard, do financial planning for you to help you save taxes, grow your wealth, uh, grow your state. Uh, you want a free consultation with him, go to the website smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Or you can call him at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And you'll get that free consultation to see if financial planning is something that can help you out. Uh, and, and I know nine out of 10 people he, he, he speak to, they say, gosh, no one's ever done this before. This is incredible what he goes into. A uh, really smart guy. I mean, all the comments we get on him, and and people come from other financial planners, and they say, "My my guy didn't think of half of what Harrison yeah. thought about." So, yeah. and it, it is so important. Again, that's kind of why we are again changing the workshop up a little bit. We want to give Harrison a little more time to talk about the financial planning. Kind of what we covered today on the RMDs. That that's something he'll talk a little bit more about those Roth conversions and so forth at that workshop. That's why I got to sign up for it next Thursday again. SmartInvesting2000.com. Yep, 6 o'clock on Thursday, April 20th. Phone number's here, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Marcos and speak with Phil. Phil, you're on the Smart Investing Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Hey, good morning, guys. Morning. How's it going? Good. How you doing? Hey, good. Hey, um, wanted to talk about City uh, symbol C. Um Bought a small percentage at the beginning of the month, just in anticipation of the uh, earnings releases. Um, they looked undervalued. Um, my question is going to be um, whether to buy more. I've, I've got about 2.5% of the total portfolio, okay. and the financial sector in general, maybe about 12%, 13%. But interested in uh, your take on City. All right. Well, let's take a look at Citigroup. I've not looked at them in a while, so I'm kind of excited to do this here. Their symbol is C as in Citigroup. Uh, float is very low, 2.3%. Institutional ownership, 40 or 74%. P.E. ratio, good start, 6.8, below the industry at 7.4. Price to sales, 1.3 versus 2. Price to book value, 0.6 versus 3.5. And I thought for sure I heard somebody yesterday on one of the financial shows, I think it was CNBC, saying that Citigroup, 
that their price tangible book value was a two. It's not two, it's 0.6 because with two, you don't want to buy a bank at that high on the tangible book value. You want it lower. Must Point, have been a different bank. <laughs> well, well, I mean, yeah, maybe I misunderstood, but I, I thought he said Citigroup was at uh, two. So maybe he misunderstood. Or maybe I misunderstood. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> the price of cash flow is 3.9 versus 2.8. Uh, earnings, unfortunately, down 16.7%. The industry is only down 1.1. Sales are up 5.5% for Citigroup. Uh, industry only up two. Uh, Five-year estimated growth rate, not very good. A negative 6.2% for Citi, but a positive 3.1% for the industry. They do pay a 4.1% dividend. The industry is up 5%, but Citi only uses 29% of their earnings to pay that dividend out. We do see on the balance sheet, again, different balance sheet because it is a, a financial company, but uh, no current ratio. Debt to equity, pretty good. 1.6 versus 1.9. A net profit margin, 19.7, not as good as the industry at 28.3. And return to equity is on the low side, 6.8 versus 10.3. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, so current price here for Citigroup, again, is $49.56. 52-week high, $54.56. And the low is $40.01. And I, I did look it up because I know JP Morgan and Citi both reported yesterday. JP Morgan's is about 1.9. So maybe they were talking about the two. Because I know that Citigroup has been the lowest valuation bank here essentially yeah. for quite some time well because they do have a lot more risks because yeah. they are a little more international and I, I i think they could be the best performing bank over the next five years perhaps but they could also be hit with some big issues that could kind of take them down as well and i think the reason why they're up so much is because a dollar has been falling if they have international that actually helps them with the falling dollar well they, they reported good results yesterday too, too. Yeah. yeah so i mean that that was a big benefit and i mean you look at the valuations going forward that that's still a, a major positive i mean i go out to december 2024 i see estimated earnings per share here of six dollars and 58 cents would give us a target sell price of $109.23. I mean, the valuations on Citigroup are very, very intriguing, but their business is, uh, I'm going to say, a lot more complicated and also, too, I think a lot more risky compared to a J.P. Morgan Chase, which is why the valuation is different there. And I did notice, too, that uh, 90 days ago that uh, they were looking for earnings of $7.03, so down about, oh, almost 6% on their earnings going forward. But uh, that could was, see that reverse. I was going to say that, and that could change after the report uh, they had yesterday. So... Uh, want to look at this maybe next week here, uh, Phil, because maybe you'll see better things here. So I, I kind of like it, but yeah. I, I feel like I'm lacking the research to say, yes, we love it because I don't understand the international exposure they have and so forth, which I'd want to understand before I, I said buy more. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know obviously they, they've got the Costco card, which I use. They also have my city yeah. double cash card, which is my probably most used credit card. So I know they have good products out there on the, the financial space. Um, but as Brent was kind of saying as well, there's a lot more research with this company because the numbers I think are perhaps the most intriguing of the big money center banks. And I'm pretty sure it was Citibank. I think it was in the 90s. They got hit really hard because yeah. of their national loans. And uh, I, I think, you know, the whole world is having slow down the economy. I think we'll get through this. But there's other places that they may not do as well. Perhaps your third world countries, maybe Citibank, Citibank has some of those uh, loans there. Maybe they don't pull through. So I, I can't just say, yes, go ahead and buy more because the numbers here look really good. I'm just afraid I'm missing something. So I've got to tell you, more research is needed uh, before we say yes to actually add more to Citigroup. Already, It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, Chase, you bring about the exchange rate because that's a real thing. Um, you know, companies that have maquilas in the Tijuana area, 
that exchange rate has dropped down. You know, it went below 18, and for like the longest time, it was in the 20s. That's a five percent dip in exchange rate in literally the first three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it can be a big risk when having uh, businesses with a lot of international exposure, which is, is something. That, you know, now you're not just worried about the business overseas, you're worried about the currency overseas as well. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, there's a lot of things that we'll look at and we go against the grain, but we've really analyzed it thoroughly to say that we disagree here. And that's what you have to do with Citigroup is look to see, okay, they may have some loans in some bad places, but you got to understand, like, will those come through? Will they make those? If you think so, answer is yes, then yeah, you buy Citigroup. Already? Thanks for the feedback, guys. Have a good weekend. Okay, Phil. Good talking to you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Well, Chase, I'm going to talk about the workshop again because this is the last workshop. We only do four a year now. Uh, the next one will probably be probably, what, uh, I guess July. July, yep. Uh, the next one. So if, if you're kind of concerned on what's going on in the market, concerned about the economy, concerned about the politics, and you'd say, I just want to kind of focus on investing, that's what we'll do. We're, we're going to talk about, you know, the price fluctuations you're seeing. Yes, it's, it drives you crazy, but it could be a positive. Um, also, too, is there a recession, not a recession? How do you buy companies or invest in businesses or, or, or other investments that actually do well during this time frame? And the big thing now, you're on, you're maybe, oh, I'm not going to buy anything now. That could be a big mistake. You got to look at what's really out there to buy. Also, too, we talked about financial planning. Harrison has some great topics as well. Yeah, Harrison, he's also going to be talking about social security. That that's a oh. big one for people, and a, a lot of people, advisors included, look at social security the wrong way. The goal shouldn't be to maximize your social security benefit. It should be to implement a social security strategy to increase your overall retirement income reduce your retirement taxes, and leave a legacy again for your heirs. And I know I hear a lot of times, oh, I'm just going to wait to collect Social Security until I get my maximum benefit. It could be the wrong decision. Yeah. And that's kind of what Harrison is going to break down for, for people there as well. Yeah, so we, we do have the added feature here, more on the financial planning side to help, try to help you out. So uh, seating is limited, but what you got to do is you got to sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. It's this Thursday, April 20th at 6 o'clock. You can also call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Talk to Allison. She'll get you signed up. Look forward to seeing you there uh, this Thursday at our office in Scripps Ranch, uh, April 20th at 6 o'clock. All right. Uh, let, let's talk about the economy prediction as we put this here because uh, we continue to believe we'll not have what we call a real recession only a slowdown in growth. We have pointed out before about how the strong job market will keep the economy going. In addition to that, spending on non-residential construction continues to be very strong. It has climbed 17% higher than last February, totaling $982 billion. And the backlog of non-residential projects is now 9.2 months, surpassing levels going back to 2019. The reason for the boost in non-residential construction is many new plans for electric vehicles, warehouses for e-commerce, and also to manufacturers moving more operations back to the U.S. after the supply chain problems we saw during the pandemic. Last year saw a record amount of money spent on manufacturing. I believe that trend will also continue. When you hear somebody tell you that the economy is going to take a major hit, have a major recession, 
Ask them about the strong job market and the strength of non-residential construction spending. Uh, I bet you they don't have any idea of the actual numbers behind the economy there. Yeah, unfortunately, people they watch the the evening news and they and the evening news will talk about all the negatives and so forth. They won't. I, I I've never heard that anybody in the news talk about you know in, in industrial construction. They they're just not going to do that. To watch the news. I'll never, never forget years ago, I had this guy say, well, you know, I'm closing my account because I'm a news junkie. I know what's going on. And I go, just watching the news is not helping. And, <laughs> I'm making it worse. <laughs> right. and, and I looked at his account a few years later, which we do. And, and sometimes I'm mean. I call back, say, do you know if you would have stayed, you would have had this now? <laughs> you know, didn't do that to him. But it's just like you can't watch the news and think you know what's going on. The news, you, you're having somebody direct you what they want you to know to get your emotions going. We do a lot of reading about in-depth things to say, this is what's going on behind the scenes. This is good news for investors. Yeah, and I hate to say it, but I mean, even you know your, your Fox News, your CNN, yeah. a lot of times their job is not necessarily to educate the consumer. It's, again, to talk about how bad the opposing party is. And <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you see, Biden's doing terrible. It's yeah. like, well, yeah, you know, he may not be doing the best job, perhaps, but let's talk again about the economy. And it, it's almost like they want the economy to crash. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, nobody wants that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it, but again, it, it gets people fired up. It gets people to come back and watch. And, and rather than talking about, again, non-residential construction, let's talk again about all the problems in the economy. And it, it just, it, it's a detriment many times to people and their investing decisions. And I will say myself personally, I don't watch the evening news. Sometimes I will watch, I've got a promo here, <clears throat> KUSI Evening News, because they talk more about the local news. Mm -hmm. And I do want to know what's going on locally, but I don't turn to them or any other news source like CBS Evening News with, you know, worldwide. No, I don't care what you guys have to say because you're, you're just trying to get my emotions going. And so yeah. I'll watch it the next day. I either want to know what's going on locally in, in, in our city here. Or for my other news, I'll turn to Barron's, Wall Street Journeys, CK Alpha, ones where they're talking about what is really going on on the business side. And we also, too, listen to all the conference calls. And, and I'm going to say we read the business news for our businesses. I'm much more concerned about what our businesses are saying about the economy than what the news is saying about the economy. Yeah. And, and that's so important to really kind of focus on that. And that's why, you know, we, we manage about a half billion dollars. We have, I don't know, 1,200 clients. I forget what it is. Because... That's what we focus on. Yeah. We, we focus on managing the money for the long term. We don't care about, you know, oh, tomorrow this is going to happen. No, we don't care about that. We, we care about how the businesses or and we do have some real estate in the portfolio, how the real estate is going to do nationwide. You know what is going on? So that's so important. It comes to investing. And, and we say what we do is simple, but not easy. And, you know, simply come to the workshop. You understand what we're doing. But it's not easy to do it because day in, day out, and I've been doing it for 40 years, you've got to stay on track. You can't let your emotions get the best of you. You cannot say, oh, well, this is a new hot thing. I, you know, for a while it was what cannabis stocks. And that's the meme stocks. Stay away from that. Bye. Now it's AI. Yeah, that's right. What's, what's it called? Chat? Chat GPT. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, and in actually I was reading uh, as well that will it overtake the investment industry? And they were saying, you know, right now there's some trying to do it. They can't because it takes so much information. It may take something that happened 100 years ago and put it into the equation. Well, that doesn't matter compared to what you have now. So uh, it is something that's exciting. It's had some stocks go up again, but it's not going to change the fundamentals of the economy and investing. Yeah. And I was going to say, too, I mean, just kind of talking about, 
you know, I, I kind of wanted to piggyback off our, our call with Phil there about Citigroup. Yeah. Is it, it was really interesting looking at the financial companies reporting yesterday. And I was, I guess, somewhat surprised, but not really surprised when I actually kind of think about it, is they're, they're still having those, um, I'll call them write-offs, essentially, because they're still projecting a more difficult economy. They're having to kind of write off future loans. So that hurts their earnings right now. I, I think that, you know, this has now been happening for the last about two years is that perhaps next year all of a sudden they stop with those uh, provision for loan losses is actually the technical term for it. And once that happened, I mean, you're talking about like J.P. Morgan, I think, had provision for loan losses over a billion dollars. That's a billion dollars hit to earnings. Now, was, was that yesterday? Because I, I yeah, that was yesterday. 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 So, and the thing that people don't get about loan loss provisions is that what generally happens, they over, yeah. overdo it because they want to be cautious. And then down the road, like they get, the reverse of the write-off where it comes back on like, oh, look at the income they made. So, But I think J.P. Morgan had great income on top of that. Well, they had great income because of their their NIM. That's their net interest margin. What they're making off of their loans of the interest and then what they're paying out to depositors on the interest, essentially. So that, that spread is still quite strong. And I've been, I'm going to say, kind of a big believer that these big banks aren't going to have to increase their deposit rate that much they're gonna have to increase it obviously bit, yeah but i don't think they're gonna have to increase it that much because of what kind of happened at silicon valley bank and i think people are like i don't care about the you know getting right. the best rate right <laughs> now i care about making sure my money's safe right and i think that's kind of a benefit to the, these big banks that that safety you get you get again essentially a discount of what you have to pay to your your depositors and also too i do remember that jay um uh jamie diamond talked about the branches uh, if you want to go to the branches, he looks at them as advertising. Yep. You want to go to the branch, you can. You want to do online, you can. I mean, he, he they've created this big bank that does everything for everybody, and it's safe. They've got a, what does he all call it? It's a, uh, what's a balance sheet he calls it? It's a fortress. Fortress. Fortress balance sheet. So that's why we think the big banks will do well. Um, people just want that safety now. And if you're a business, let's say, and you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in a bank account, I don't think your top concern is, oh, I'm making 1% on the, the interest or I'm making a half percent on the interest. It's like, can I get that money and pay my employees? Can I get my money and pay my bills? It's, it's, that safety is, it really does come at a premium, I think. And you may feel you may get it, but it could be disruption to the business to where, oh, you know, they closed down and now it can't happen. Because I've, I've said this on TV, said it here and so forth. There's nobody at this point in time going to lose any money in any bank at this point in time. Yeah. That I think will change going forward. But for now, I don't care where your money is in what bank, you're safe. But you could have disruption, yeah. and if that bank does close, I, just, I see no banks closing. But if there is one that closes, and that's where your money is, you got to do payroll, uh-oh, what do I do? There's They've, they've tied up my money. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem. And yeah. that, I mean, I've, I've said this now for months, but I, I, I really think that the big financial companies, I, I think there's some, some great opportunity. And I, I don't think you're going to, again, double your money in the next three right. years, but I, I think you can, again, average 8 10%. Many of them pay good dividends. I mean, I, I think these financial companies, especially after seeing some of the numbers yesterday, are, are there's some great opportunities there. You know, it's funny, and I tell people, yeah, I'm, I'm very optimistic. How can I be optimistic with, with this <laughs> going on? I said, because you're looking at the politics. You're, you're looking at what the media says. I said, when you dig beneath, you know, like we do, you'll find some positives there that keep us going forward because there is some good news out there. Yep. So. Well, that's the closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for information person only and should not be used as investment advice. If you would like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 
888-546-4306. Be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can sign up for the workshop right there. A lot of great information there. Remember, the workshop is coming up this Thursday, April 26 o'clock in Scripps Ranch. Hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. To think that I did all that And may I say